everyone. Welcome back to the CYDC podcast. I am your host, Arushi, joined today by... I am Mike. Mike. And on today's episode, we will be exploring concussions. So before we kind of dive into what is a concussion and all the different things, I am wondering, Mike, if you would be okay with sharing your concussion tale. I'm tempted to say concussion chronicles, but it was only once, thank goodness. So we're not going <laughs> to put that label on it. But um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with a concussion? For sure. When you say my concussion tale, it actually <laughs> sounds a lot, it sounds a lot more exciting and a lot nicer <laughs> than, uh, than the actual experience. But, um, but no, I, it happened playing soccer. Um, I was, I've been like, I was a, a soccer goalie for almost my entire career. <laughs> I feel weird calling it a soccer career, but my entire time that I played soccer, I was a soccer goalie and, um, I just went down for a save and a guy went to go jump over me and uh, his knee hit like the temple, like right on my head. And so um, I didn't lose consciousness or anything, but I was down for a little bit and kind of regathered myself and finished the game. And then um, I'll never forget that my mom and I were walking out into the parking lot and my mom went right to go to the car and I went, started to go left. And then um, she was like, the car's over here. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And like just kind of playing playing it off that like I made a, a little mistake. And then um, I just started to slowly realize like as we were driving home, the lights um, on other cars seemed brighter and I had a really bad headache. And um, then obviously you start doing a little bit of research on the symptoms and read up about concussions. And at that point, that's when I kind of made a, an appointment with my doctor and uh, yeah, I got diagnosed with a concussion and uh, it was roughly a two week recovery. Took like, I took two weeks off of school and um, a lot of rest and recovery. And um, and it was it's a very, very interesting process because even like days after and even a week after my concussion, there were still issues with, you know, lights being bright and um, kind of having to get used to all of that. So, um, yeah, that's my concussion story, I guess. Nothing, like I said, nothing too exciting. I wasn't like bungee jumping off of a cliff or like skydiving or something like that, you know? At least it, that would have been a little bit more exciting. But uh, yeah, it, it was a sports-related injury, which as we will find out at the end of the podcast is actually very common. So um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. I'm glad you're doing better today in that. I, I think there were no long-term impacts of it. Would you say that as well? Yeah, no long-term impacts. And um, actually, the one thing that I do reflect on with like my concussion is when it happened, I was like, I, I was surprised that it actually didn't happen sooner, given how many times I'd made the exact same save and the exact same thing happened where the player jumped over me or, you know, being a goalie, very vulnerable to contact and stuff. So I was surprised that I hadn't gotten a concussion earlier, to be honest. So I guess knowing all of that, um, I guess we can dive into what exactly is a concussion really. So a, a concussion is defined as a mild traumatic brain injury that may occur after an impact to your head, so like what Mike just shared with us, or an injury that causes your head to shake quickly like whiplash. When someone is concussed, they are in a different and altered mental state and may result in unconsciousness. Concussions can occur from falls, car accidents, or other daily activities but they are most likely to occur in those who play impact sports like football or boxing. 
While concussions are typically not life-threatening, they can cause serious symptoms that need treatment, um, depending on how bad it is. Yeah, and so in terms of those symptoms, you know, how can we tell whether we might have a concussion or not? And the signs of a concussion include memory issues, confusion, dizziness, uh, vision troubles, headache, nausea, vomiting, sensitivity to light or noise, balance issues and slow reactions. And these symptoms may uh, may not occur right away and they can develop hours, days, weeks, or months after the injury. And even while, reco while recovering, you might experience irritability, sensitivity to stimuli like light noise, uh, challenges with concentration, and even some headaches. And so it's important to see a doctor if you suspect that you do have a concussion and I also took this from the Dignity Health website in that you should call 911 or seek emergency medical attention if you have severe headaches, blurry vision, loss of consciousness, or problems walking or talking after head trauma, or if you do suspect that you have a concussion. So those are four kind of major symptoms that need immediate medical attention. Hmm. And knowing you know, now what a concussion is and what the different symptoms can be, we can further split concussions into six different types. So the first one is cognitive and fatigue. So this type of concussion can cause you to have difficulties with prolonged or complex mental tasks, complex subject matter, and long days. It can sometimes cause increased fatigue as the day goes on as well. The next one is vestibular, and this type of concussion can cause trouble with balance, motion, and vision. The next one is ocular, and this type of concussion can cause you to have trouble with visual tasks, like reading long passages and looking at a computer screen or a cell phone. The next one is a post-traumatic migraine. So this type of concussion can cause changes in your normal routine, such as sleeping in or avoiding loud concerts or sporting events. The fifth one is cervical, and this type of concussion causes difficulties with stress or pressure on the neck, spine, or spinal cord. It may lead to ongoing headaches. Things such as slouching while on the computer or carrying a heavy backpack may worsen the symptoms as well. And lastly, anxiety and mood. So this type of concussion may make it hard to turn off your thoughts and cause excessive worry or concern. So those are some of the most, I guess, common types of concussions that we might come across. And I know we listed six, I'm not sure if there are more, but I think these are the most known ones. Yeah, thanks for that, Arushi. And if you do need to go see a doctor or go to the hospital for a concussion, the doctor will want to know how the injury happened and your symptoms and potentially take a physical exam to determine the symptoms further. In cases with serious symptoms, you may need an MRI, a CT scan, or an electroencephalogram to check your brain for serious injuries and to monitor your brain waves. Some doctors also do a special eye test for concussions, which includes checking for a change in pupil, pupil size, eye, mu oh my gosh, eye, mu um, <laughs> eye movement, <laughs> and light sensitivity. Most concussions don't require surgery, and if you are diagnosed with a, a concussion, your doctor will advise you to get lots of rest, avoid sports or strenuous activities, avoid driving or bike riding for a certain period of time, um, like a day, week, month, it really depends on the severity. Alcohol might hamper the recovery process, so it's also important to ask your doctor if you should avoid drinking alcohol and for how long. 
And it's important to remember to take time to rest after a concussion and allow your brain to heal. So um, this was kind of the process that I went through in terms of going to see my doctor. He asked how it happened and what my symptoms were and kind of said like, yep, sounds like a, a concussion and um, told me to get some rest. And he gave me two weeks, pretty much a break from school just to kind of to rest that brain. Um, and as Arushan, I mentioned earlier, after the first few days, uh, I um, I'm doing nothing. I kind of spent my time watching some movies with like really low light and low brightness and um, try to just recover as quickly as possible. So, yeah. And even when we're, you know, considering allowing our brain to heal, I think it's important to also discuss what even happens during our brain during and after a concussion in order to know what exactly we're healing. So whenever we experience an injury that causes the head to move quickly back and forth, this can cause our brains to bounce within the skull. This movement can twist, can twist and stretch the cells and nerves in the brain or change how chemicals in the brain work for a short period of time. This can change how the brain sends messages to the brain and body, and this is why you might act, think, move, or feel differently after a concussion. Some nerve fibers can recover, but others that are severely damaged can lose their ability to communicate permanently. And Mike, do we know how common that is um, when people lose their ability to communicate permanently for their nerves? I'd like um, to think it's not too common. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, maybe again, it depends on the severity of the concussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but as we'll talk about later, um, there are some long-term effects of some concussions and repeated concussions as well. So I think it probably depends on the severity. Yeah, that's what yeah. I think as well. And now transitioning into something called post-concussion syndrome or PCS, uh, which can be diagnosed after a concussion or after a mild traumatic brain injury. And it must have at least three of the possible symptoms associated with it, like a headache, dizziness, vertigo, fatigue, memory challenges, memory problems, trouble concentrating, sleep problems, irritability, anxiety, depression, personality changes, and sensitivity to light and noise. So post-concussion headaches can vary and feel like tension-type headaches or migraines. And PCS can occur within a few days of the head injury, but it can also take weeks for the symptoms to occur. And anyone who has had a concussion is at risk for post-concussion syndrome, but it's not really known why it occurs. Um, the good thing to know is that most people with post-concussion syndrome fully recover, and it's usually resolved within three months, but there have been instances where these effects have lasted a year or longer. The cause of post-concussion syndrome is unclear, but some believe it's caused by structural damage to the brain, or the disruption of the messaging system within the nerves caused by um, the head injury or the concussion. And so research has also shown an, that increasing age is also a risk factor for PCS. So um, the older you are, the more um, at risk you are for developing PCS if you have a concussion. Um, and the only way to prevent it from occurring really is to try your best to prevent the injury or the concussion from happening. And so this can be done by making sure that you wear your seatbelts while traveling in a car, uh, using helmets for activities that require them, like biking or playing hockey or football. Um, and actually, um, years ago, I don't, there might be some goalies now, but um, professional goalies, some of them actually have like this like um, softly padded like helmet thing okay. to wear. Because um, I know there have been goalies in the past in professional soccer who have suffered a concussion and have worn this like little 
head thing to prevent future concussions. Mm -hmm. um, and also removing hazards within your home to prevent falls. So that's uh, another way to kind of prevent that fall from happening. Yeah, I think especially in you know high impact sports, taking preventive measures is so important because a lot of the time you can't avoid, I guess, that contact from happening, but you can kind of work to soften the blow in that sense and protect the players. So I guess now that we you know have a little bit more of a background knowledge of what PCS is and the way it functions, um, we think it's also important to discuss potential treatments for it. So treatment for PCS focuses on providing symptom relief to help a person manage the condition. So rest is one of the most important components of PC, PCS treatment as it allows the brain to recover and heal from a concussion. Where possible, doctors often avoid using medication to treat PCS symptoms because an injury to the head can make the brain more sensitive to drug use and possible side effects. People can try a range of different therapies that may help their recovery from PCS. But for all of these therapies, a person will work with a medical professional who will monitor their process progress and can adjust the treatment plan as necessary to suit them. So diving into some of the forms of therapy, vision therapy can help repair damage to the visual system or help the brain adapt to changes in connectivity. Neurooptometric rehabilitation works to target any visual problems that people may be experiencing. So a treatment plan will combine the use of lenses, prisms, and filters to help stimulate parts of the brain that are not working as usual. Balance therapy can help people if they're experiencing a lot of dizziness as a result of PCS. Exercises to encourage balance and stability can help reduce this disorienting symptom. Next up is physical therapy, which obviously will help relieve physical symptoms. So the therapy might include massage, gentle exercise, and heat therapy to relax the body and aid recovery. Next up is exertion therapy, which uses gentle aerobic exercise to help the body recover. People might use a pool or a piece of gym equipment, such as a treadmill, that carries minimal risk of head injury. And lastly, somehow this always makes its way into our um, episodes, but cognitive behavioral therapy may help people who have mood-related PCS symptoms, such as depression, anxiety, or mood swings. So clearly there's lots of different forms of therapy that can be used in PCS treatment, it's just a matter of finding, um, I guess, one, a health practitioner that you trust and also the form of therapy that you think is the most relevant um, and helpful for you as well, whether it's one of these or a combination of them as well. So diving into our next topic, uh, we'll be now discussing chronic traumatic and I just said it, encephalopathy. <laughs> um, so chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE is a progressive and fatal brain disease associated with repeated traumatic brain injuries, known as TBIs, including concussions and repeated blows to the head. So the reason I was hoping to chat about this today is that after I watched the Aaron Hernandez Netflix documentary a little while ago, I found out that he had one of the most severe cases of CTE of any person in their 20s. He was only 27 when he passed away. And after learning more about CTE and the behaviors of individuals who have CTE, I wanted to share some of the findings for you all. Um, so I guess just a little bit of background on Aaron Hernandez and why I've been bringing it up. Um, in his case, he was a convicted murderer who ultimately committed suicide in jail. He was also a well-known NFL player and they made a Netflix documentary about him. So 
Diving into what CTE is, it's often found in NFL players, likely because of the nature of football and the many blows to the head that the players experience. More recently, research on this topic has found that CTE may impact a person's ability to make decisions and moderate behavior. So according to Dr. Anne McKeith, Boston University's CTE Center, she said, we can't take the pathology and explain the behavior. We can say that in our collective experience that individuals with CTE tend to have difficulty with impulse control, decision-making, inhibition of impulses for aggression, emotional volatility, and rage behaviors. Boston University researchers say that they have discovered CTE in more than 100 former NFL players and a handful of whom who have committed suicide. So in Aaron Hernandez's case, um, when they looked at his brain after death, there were abnormal and large holes in various parts of his brain, especially when compared to a normal, typically developing brain that didn't suffer many blows to the head. Yeah, and the hippocampus, which plays a key role in memory, had shrunk. The fornix, which also contributes to memory function, had atrophied. The frontal lobe, which is responsible for problem solving, judgment, impulse control, and social behavior, had been marked with tau protein. The amygdala, which produces emotional regulation, emotional behavior, fear, and anxiety, had severely been affected. And the temporal lobes, which process sights and sounds, showed significant damage. And so all of this is to say that while there's certainly no way to diagnose CTE in someone who is still alive, in sports and in environments where brain trauma is likely to occur, it is important to take a harm reduction approach and work to facilitate a safer environment through rule changes, policies, um, policy design um, to remove concussed players, and technological advances to protect the players. It is also vital to facilitate conversations around mental health and aggression in sports and environments where these topics are often swept under the rug. Under the rug. While CTE cannot be diagnosed until the end of life, symptoms such as memory loss, confusion, impaired judgment, impulse control problems, aggression, depression, anxiety, and suicidality all occur while the individual is still alive, and there are there are things that can be treated to prevent any long-term harm for the individual and those in their life. And so now that we kind of looked at CTE, we will transition into some of the misconceptions around concussions. So the first one is that a concussion happens only with a blow to the head, and that is false. Not all concussions are the result of a blow to a head. Um, the cause could be an indirect blow somewhere else on the body that results in the head and brain moving rapidly back and forth. And this causes a temporary change in the brain's energy metabolism, resulting in concussion symptoms. The second one is a person with a concussion always loses consciousness. And this is false. A concussion involves a loss of consciousness only in about 10% of the concussion cases. And a person who loses consciousness as a result of some type of head trauma doesn't necessarily have a concussion. So um, it's not like one plus one equals two in that situation. The third misconception is concussion patients should be awakened every few hours so that they don't lose consciousness. This is false. While checking on the individual within the first four hours of a concussion is important, the risk of a more serious brain injury typically passes after approximately four hours. 
After that, the individual should be allowed to rest, sleep, and conserve energy for the next 48 to 72 hours. As a person further recovers from a concussion following the 48 to 72 hour rest period, it is also important for them to maintain their normal sleep patterns. The fourth misconception is if you don't have symptoms immediately, you don't have a concussion. This is false. In some cases, concussion symptoms won't show up for hours, days, or even a week after an injury. In addition to early symptoms such as confusion, headache, dizziness, and memory loss, more delayed signs and symptoms might include sensitivity to light and noise, irritability, difficulty sleeping, fatigue, and depression, according to the Washington Post. And the fifth misconception is you can return to sports as soon as you feel okay. This is false because it could take up to a week for the symptoms of a concussion to appear. Um, and so it's wise for someone to wait to return to sports until they have been cleared by a medical professional. Even though someone might feel physically ready to, ready to play, they need to make sure that they have had enough mental rest too. Playing too soon can lead to dangerous and potentially fatal complications such as post-traumatic headache, a headache that can persist for months, or second impact syndrome in which someone suffers a second concussion before, they, before they've healed from the first one. So I guess knowing all of that, there's definitely a lot of myths around concussion. I think one of the biggest ones that I've heard personally is that people are more likely to go unconscious, that they always go unconscious if they have a concussion. Not the case. I think for me, one of the newest ones I've heard from these ones um, is that concussion patients should be awakened every few hours that they don't lose consciousness and that being a myth because um, I've I've heard the complete opposite kind of consistently that you should try to keep the person awake um, so that's something that's good to know were, were any of these new information for you Mike yeah that same one was the um, surprising one for me <laughs> that's something that I have always heard is the like wake up the person a few, every few hours to make sure that they're okay um so that was kind of surprising but i guess all of it too considering you know kind of follow the direction of the doctor or the medical professional that um you talk to about um regarding the concussion as well so who knows if maybe a doctor might recommend you waking them up every few hours yeah. who knows um so yeah all that considered you know um I recommend talking to a doctor yeah. or a medical professional um, rather than just a Rushi yes. and I. Please, I think. Yeah. no offense, no, Rushi. None taken. Please don't. I mean, I'm happy to have these conversations, but we are not medical professionals by any means. So take take it for what you will. These are interesting things to know. But yeah, at the end of the day, go with what a doctor has to say for your specific case. Please, we're not we're not responsible for, sure. for anything. Anyways. <laughs> Mike, would you like to share today's fun fact? I think if we're we're done chatting about our regular facts. For sure. So the fun fact of this podcast is that the CDC estimates that 1.6 to 3.8 million sports and recreation related concussions occur each year in the US alone. So I thought this was a very interesting statistic because even I know 1.6 million and 3.8 million is a very big like gap very big difference in the amount of concussions but even if it was roughly 1.6 million people who got concussed in a year from sports and recreation activities um that's a pretty big number of people i thought and more than more than i actually um it was a, kind of like a surprising statistic i didn't think it'd be that high yeah 
I think, yeah, while it's a big range, I think range aside, it's the number that kind of gets me. It's a very, very large number of people. Um, and it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, what the what the outcomes were for all those people in terms of severity, longevity of the concussion, um, if it was only once, if it was more than once. So, yeah, interesting to think sure. about. And I think that pretty much wraps up the podcast for today. Yep. So thank you all for tuning in this week. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast and would like to reach out to us, you can email us at cuidcpodcast at gmail.com. We have added resources from this podcast in a link in the descriptions. As always, we'd like to thank Dr. Colin King for giving us this opportunity to record the podcast. The intro music was provided by Gaming Free Music on YouTube. And the outro music was provided by um, Wadaboy on SoundCloud, and both links are also in the description. We will see everyone next week where we will be talking about grief. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. Bye.